0: Hello and welcome to the Body Electric Podcast. This is a podcast about uh, jazz, uh, playing jazz, uh, specifically jazz guitar. And uh, yeah, my name is Nathan Hiltz and uh, I'm a jazz guitarist based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, this is episode 32. My special guest for this episode is a great guitarist named James Brown from Aurora, Ontario. And a uh, really great player, plays jazz and classical music, uh, writes lots of music. We had a really good time, uh, and I hope you have a good time listening. Uh, if you want to hear more podcasts like this, you can visit me at www.nathanhiltz.com. All right, enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Alright, I think we're on. We're recording. Alright, James, how's it going, man? It's going well. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me up here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. what a nice uh, town you have here, Aurora. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've been this deep into Aurora before. No. Yeah, and plenty of
1: churches on your street. A lot of churches and a lot of trees and a lot of space. And Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, maybe tell me about this home like that you're living in. It's a historic
1: property it's a farmhouse yeah it was renovated about a year and a half ago um the footprint was kept the same um just everything's been updated Mm. and uh yeah this is old town aurora so it's it's wow
0: sweet wow so it would have been a a farmhouse in the middle of a field i assume at one time (laughs)
1: the the town is pretty old so i think i think all these houses were here around Mm. the same time so it would have been a village right um yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. Um, so I guess you have a bit of a commute when you're uh, when you're performing and, and teaching I do, in yeah. the city. Yeah.
1: Luckily the ghost station is right down the street. Ah. So, so you beat the traffic that
0: way. I do, yeah. Oh, cool. All right. So um, you know, I am so glad to talk to you today and uh and find out about what you've been working on. But uh maybe in the first place you could tell me a little bit about uh how you started playing the guitar and uh and sort of what your path was
1: when you were a young guitarist. Sure, yeah. Well, like most kids, it was it was rock and roll. It was, or in my case, it was more heavy rock and roll, Led Zeppelin and um, the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and uh, mm. so that attracted me to the guitar. I think I was in grade seven at, at school, and there was a guitar club at lunch. And I, um, I remember my teacher, Bill Lanza, whose whose claim to fame was he wrote a tune on the on the album that the Kings did. Remember that 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 album, that uh, Switch into Glide, that famous tune. No, I don't know that one. Like a Canadian oh, tune, and Canadian yeah. band. And uh, anyway, yeah. He, so he was a guitarist, and he had a couple of Gibsons, and so he started this guitar club in grade seven. And when I saw the guys gathering at lunchtime with these acoustic guitars, I just something about that was just it grabbed me. I had to, had to try it. Oh wow! Cool. So it wasn't long before I convinced my parents to buy me a six string and. And then I spent that year struggling to switch between G and C and just uh-huh. just basic chords and
0: yeah yeah my but when I first started learning my book said E and A was the first E and A too. <laughs> <laughs> but I think since then I start them on G and C yeah cool so um, from there did you end up getting into classical guitar at that
1: time uh, um, not immediately I started sort of you know taking a few lessons playing you know playing some rock tunes and uh, mm. um, but then I met up with a, a, f- a friend of a friend. Um, who had been studying at the Conservatory in Toronto. Um, I sort of met up with him and he had, he was sort of telling me about what he was doing on the classical guitar and it sort of intrigued me. Mm. So that later on that year, I called up the Conservatory and decided to sort of start taking lessons there. And there was something about nylon strings and finger style and, and just that whole learning the proper technique, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and once I started taking lessons there, I had a great teacher named uh, by the name of Richard Bradley um, I just went heavy into classical guitar mm. you know I dropped playing electric guitar and, and uh, steel string and I just went dove into studying you know at the conservatory and right. doing exams and, and, and doing that sort of thing mm. yeah
0: interesting and uh, and so you you kept on following that path even into
1: university right? yeah I ended uh, up going to U of T for classical guitar and uh, right. and you were doing the competition type thing yeah uh, I did competitions and yeah uh, Doing recitals and concerts and right. sort of really doing it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so was co- uh, did composition, uh, was that always something that you'd been involved with, or uh, was that more uh, as you got into university
1: that you started? Writing? No, I did, I did from the beginning want to write, I wanted to sort of, you know, I remember writing a couple of rock tunes for a, a rock band that I was in, and mm. I was always scribbling down trying to make up tunes or make up guitar pieces. But I didn't have the technique. I didn't have any theory. I didn't really know what I was doing. But uh, but the, the urge was always there. Mm. I think the classical guitar the studies in that kind of detracted me from composing. It did detract me from co- mm. distract me from composing a little bit. Um, and then when I, when I got to U of T, I I started to kind of I think as I was discussing later uh, earlier that um there was a uh, I had a finger problem emerge. Yeah, yeah, you did um, it. Yeah. What's now known no, as focal dystonia. Um, my right hand index finger stopped functioning 100%, it was a very, very minute change, but it kind of left me in a situation where I thought, well, this, maybe I should switch styles, mm. thinking to myself that if you play jazz, you don't have to have such a rigid technique, you don't have to have such a, you have to have techniques and other things, improvising obviously, but mm. um, I thought that there would be more leeway for myself in that. So I kind of got back into playing electric guitar and, and composing suddenly became uh, an interest again.
0: Mm. And was this uh, what age would this have been at? That this, uh, this twenty years up? old. Twenty. That's quite young. Yeah. Kind of injury. Yeah.
1: Twenty or twenty-one, maybe first year university.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And uh, so that's quite an adjustment. So had you been working with the pick all along? Like, did the pick still feel like a comfortable thing? I mean,
1: yeah. I I, I dabbled in electric guitar a little bit here and there yeah. just for fun, but I was. Um, you know, I went through phases where I, I I did finger style on electric guitar, and then mm. I would use a pick sometimes, and I would kind of I just varied the technique. Mm. Um,
0: it's you know I've always. Thought it very difficult to adapt fingerstyle to an electric guitar, especially in terms of single note lines. Mm-hmm. It seems like a wonderful thing to try to get to, you know. And I've even tried thumb picks and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but I, I've never been able to seem seem to be able to conquer it, you know. Like the the pick, I'm always like uh, lost. A lot of my technique or a lot of the things that I could play when I go to fingers, you know.
1: Well, I know what you mean. I, yeah. I um, I actually was stubborn enough to try fingerstyle on electric guitar, I recorded. My first two CDs I recorded, I did, did fingerstyle. Really, one of them was on electric, on a Stratocaster, and one and that the second CD was on a nylon string, all class old. I was stubborn. I wanted to sort of make it work and tried to make it work. And mm. but I know what you mean. There's something about the simplicity of down and up picking mm. and the the weight of it, and I think the feel. Yeah, that you can't you can't match that with the fingers with, the, with your fingers. No, something. No. The feel, yeah.
0: I wonder if sometimes the flamenco guys seem to have. Maybe a bit of an edge on that, uh, you know. I, I think of uh, Lenny Bro when he played lines with his fingers. Sometimes, you know, how he could get. So, but still, the, the character of them isn't as versatile as perhaps like what you can do with bebop with a pick.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow, interesting. So, uh, those first two jazz albums. Who were you working with at that time? Who were
1: you playing? Um, the first CD, I think it was in 1998. Um, I had Ernie Toller uh, playing saxophones, um, Andrew Downing playing oh, bass. Right. Cool. I think it was Andrew's first C, actually, if I'm not mistaken. He was well. a pretty easy young guy, and uh, John Oberschen. Ah, yeah, who, of course. Yeah, who played with Nojo for all those years. Yeah, yeah,
0: of course. And with uh, Kenji Ome and Dave Smith, uh, right, that, right. Court, that wonderful quartet. Yeah. I used to see them a lot when I was growing up. Hmm. Uh, that's cool. And so, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And. Um, so on those like, so did you continue making jazz since that time, or like?
1: Yeah, I was I was dedicated to sort of learning to improvise, and it took me a long time. You know, from from when I switched over to jazz from classical, it was a really, mm. it was a shock. Yeah, because I mean, I was just used to printed music on a printed page, and you know, I could play my my way around the instrument really well, but I couldn't you know, make up a line. I couldn't, mm. so I had to really kind of study the harmony, and and I would you know go check out players, and I'd go to. Over here at Bicker at George's Spaghetti House, just to see, yeah. sort of witness what was going on right. with uh, with jazz and uh, yeah, the career path is so much different for jazz than classical, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like uh,
0: in jazz, it's kind of about that hang and the club scene and the apprenticeship process, but it doesn't really play out the same way in the classical guitar world. Right. Um, how, how did you feel
1: shifting into the jazz world though, in that way? Well, it felt good. I mean, I, I enjoyed hanging out. In, yeah, the clubs and and hanging, you know, and getting together with players and just set, doing sessions and yeah. I, I made a point of trying to play with different players, invite them over, or go to their places. And I had a little club gig on in, in the West End of Toronto, where every Wednesday night we we'd gather with a few players and we'd play. And mm. so yeah, learning on the bandstand was uh, it was an enjoyable thing playing cool. with people and, and uh, yeah
0: yeah nice. Well, why don't we play
1: something? Sure. Yeah, what do you feel like playing? Um, I think we're talking about. Falling Grace, yeah. yeah. Is it a Steve Swallow tune, definitely.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. And just so people listening know, um, I'm playing the uh, acoustic guitar or the archtop acoustic guitar, and uh, James is playing the electric, the 335 epitho- Epiphone 335. You know, just so they know. <laughs> cool. Wherever you want it. One, two, one, two, three. One. <laughs> want to go I guess you could keep going
1: you can keep going yeah it's yeah, a yeah circular kind of a tune it just yeah. keeps, keeps going around yeah
0: what a wonderful tune yeah so um I was wondering uh, does the classical repertoire influence your improvisation uh, and the ja- like and the jazz repertoire obviously influences your improv as well but to what extent
1: do they both uh, kind of inspire your playing? Well, I think the classical music... I mean, I spent so much time digging into classical music. I studied theory and harmony extensively as a kid when I was in high school. Mm. I wanted to be a knowledgeable... You know, I wanted to be a composer as well. But, mm. um, so, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time studying Mozart and, and dissecting Bach fugues. And and, I, and, and also there's a lot of arranging of classical music. So I think it's just... It's in me. It's, it's mm-hmm. whether I can't shake it. <laughs> yeah. Just this sort of, uh, sort of more... Um, not so much bebop kind of sounds, but sort of straighter I don't know if it's hard to describe but um, um less than swingy I find myself writing a lot of straight eighth note tunes um, mm-hmm.
0: yeah um,
1: and your your melodic
0: voice I mean like is at the front of whatever you're writing for mm-hmm. I feel like so that must be very inspired by composers as much as it is by guitarists mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know um, so uh when you write like when you write for classical guitar do you think are you thinking changes as like do you still write changes for tunes Um, like it's
1: it depends on the composition some compositions just sort of come out of me kind of improvising or playing a a figure or a line or a chord progression and i i end up kind of developing some ideas from that other pieces um for, that I've, I've written for classical guitar are actually arrangements of existing jazz compositions. Ah, interesting. Um, I yeah. mean, this piece, The Home Fields, is a good example. Um, where it began as a jazz composition, I recorded it on a CD, and then um, I later kind of adapted it and arranged it for, for solo guitar. Right, right. Um,
0: and, uh, you know, like, when I, my experience playing classical guitar, like, uh, I'm always left really inspired by how the pieces work, especially ones that are like more repetitive or maybe even studies, and see them as a way that I can maybe extrapolate that out and move that through changes or use that as mm-hmm. improvisation or or for my own compositions. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, is it you that wrote that 7-8 seven, seven, study? I think it's about grade four in the or is that a Norbert Kraft one in the um in I the Royal Conservatory I uh, think he has a 7 I one okay. is that around level, yeah. bubble yeah anyway like uh, so like finding a beautiful sequence uh, right hand sequence like that I'm like oh I'm going to put that on the way hip for changes and take it through what I mm-hmm. want to take it through and write my own tune about it mm-hmm. you know um, so have you actually written jazz compositions that are related to techniques that you've learned in classical um that's a good question
1: um, not really um When I'm writing a jazz composition, I'm more concerned with with strong melody, strong harmonic movement, Mm. really strong structure. Um, So it's not necessarily so guitaristic,
0: in what I'm describing. It's
1: not necessarily guitaristic, yeah. It's more... I like to write things that are applicable to any instrument, really. Ah, okay. Um,
0: Is that important for you in your composition,
1: like uh, that you get away from the guitar, in a way? Yeah, I'm not purposely trying to get away from the guitar, but I think I'm trying to think more of a broad musical kind of... Statement mm. that's adaptable right. um, to you know whether a, a big band or a string quartet or a solo guitar whatever whatever the instrumentation might be. Mm. Um, I'm more interested in the craft of actually composing the, the structure of the piece. Ah, interesting,
0: um, yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, like, uh, do you write on a daily basis? Um, is that something?
1: Yeah, well, I have a notebook that I carry around. It's, uh, it's right here. Oh yeah, <laughs> and okay. I, have a, I have a box downstairs with about that's filled with notebooks from all the years that have right. gone by. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I always have a notebook that I'm jotting ideas down. And if I if I arrive to, to a teaching gig early, I might sit down at the piano or the guitar and, and jot things down. Or mm. um, and I refer to the notes. You know, I, I'll, I'll write sketches and then sometimes. A, a certain little sketch idea might sort of pop, might sort of end up being a, a, a composition. Right. Some some sketches just sit there for years and nothing happens, and one day I might look at it and go, "Hey, you know what? That would fit with this other idea that I had." and uh, mm. So yeah, getting things down is, is important. Mm. On paper. Yeah, and
0: so uh, do you have like sort of phases that you're in? Like, uh, do you have a phase where you're writing a lot of music for solo guitar, and then a phase that you're writing. Compositions for jazz, or that you would expect to play with other
1: musicians, or I'm always trying to create new jazz compositions to, to, to bring to gigs or to possibly record on an album. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I'm always doing that. Um, I don't. I haven't written for solo guitar recently. I went through a phase in the '90s where I wrote a whole lot of pieces. I wrote a sonata, and I wrote pieces for two guitars, and I wrote. Several works for a guitar orchestra, mm. and I've had those premiered by various groups. Mm. Um, I'd like to get back into it, mm. but I'm, right now I'm kind of focusing on uh, jazz compositions per mm. se.
0: Cool. Yeah. And uh, may I ask what you've been listening to lately? Uh, oh
1: boy. Good question. <sighs> Maybe that's a big question. It's a uh, big question. There's always little bits here and little bits there. Um, I can't think of what I've been listening to. Or
0: or perhaps, like, um, what in the past, like, things that you've listened to that have been really important to you uh, in terms of your influences, you know. Like, uh, I could tell you a couple of mine. Like, The Velvet Touch of Lenny Bro is one of my favorite albums of all time. And, like, an album like that has really kind of directed the way I've practiced or what I've worked on, you know, in terms of hearing the country influence and wanting to investigate that and the classical influence. and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, And then there's something like West Montgomery, Full House... Or uh, the incredible jazz guitar and, like, his techniques that I've sort of been interested in emulating and Mm -hmm. playing those sorts of tunes or taking that sort of approach to tunes. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the past, like, something that, uh, music that's been maybe that sort of important to your development? Yeah, Yeah.
1: well, I mean, there are several key artists that I've listened to quite a bit. I mean, John Abercrombie was somebody that I kind of dug into quite heavily. Right, and that goes along with the hand... Playing with the fingers too, right? Yeah, he played. He 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 switched to playing with his thumb. He sort of right. Almost all thumb, I think. Oh, is okay, what yeah. he ended up doing. Okay. I think his compositions affected me too. He has a. I mean, I loved what he wrote on the various albums. Just uh, strong melodic compositions that have kind of a hook that just it, 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 they make sense. Mm. Um, they're harmonically adventurous. I mean, I'm, I'm. I've always tried to write things that were. Kind of outside just the normal two five one progression to find interesting, more interesting ways, huh. but not ignoring the two as You can't you can't deny the the gravity of that, yeah. the, the pull of a two five one. Um, other artists, um, I mean, obviously you can see from my wall, Jim Hall and Ed Bickert were sort of influences. Oh yeah, I think just in their in their beautiful sound and their beautiful melodic approach, mm. harmonic approach. Um, who else um Bill Frizzell was somebody who kind of I dug into a bit, few of his records and I liked the way he combined different styles mm. sort of Americana country even bluegrass there's a beautiful album he put out called Nashville mm. that's you know it's not even a jazz record doesn't sound much like jazz but it's just it's so beautiful mm. it's just sort of you know evidence of how you can kind of take improvised music into a different area mm. um Totally. Yeah.
0: I love and I love how an artist like him uh, just sort of creates the music that he wants to create and it's, you know, it's not really fulfilling like a label or an ideal that anyone else puts on him mm-hmm. um, and uh, I kind of see like you going between the classical and the jazz thing is kind of defying those sort of labels as yeah. well, it's kind of hard to put you down as any one thing mm-hmm. has that been, uh, would you call that a benefit in your career or would you call that uh, has it ever been a hindrance in your career to be so sort of
1: wide open you mean between different styles like classical yeah. and jazz yeah well I mean I, I get I get called for classical gigs I've, I've, I've had yeah. some interesting gigs because I've, I'm sort of known as somebody who can, who can grab a nylon string guitar and do, get the job done right so I've, I've had some really interesting experiences you know playing the Tron Symphony and uh, I, I did a wonderful gig with uh, with um, it was a, a piece by Omar Daniel which was um, a premier um anyway, so yeah yeah it's it's been, really yeah. An inverse, but it's been a benefit, i guess yeah, cool um I should mention about the, if you're you're talking about the classical jazz thing i just um I just finished a master's degree at york Oh, congratulations thank you in composition yeah. and um my my thesis was a composition which was uh, a piece in, in what we call a third stream style which is which blends classical and jazz or concepts of the two um so that's kind of what my latest project has been. It's Interesting. A, what uh, sort of ensemble were you uh, running for? It's written uh, for six players. It has a violin, cello, um, soprano, sax. It has piano, percussion, sort of marimba and drum kit, sort of, sort of switching back and forth. And then the guitar part switches from electric guitar to classical guitar. Mm. So one of the movements is just nylon string classical, and one of the, inser- the, the two other the three other movements are, are for electric guitar. yeah. You know, so it's it plays with those various sounds, and, and obviously the violin and cello are going to sound much more like a classical orchestra ensemble, whereas the soprano sax is definitely from the jazz idiom. Mm. The guitar kind of switches back, switches between the two. Right. Um, and the drum kit, sometimes it's sort of, the, the drum part's sort of making sounds, sometimes it's actually, they're actually swinging. Mm. Um, sometimes the cellist is walking a bass line, sometimes the cellist is playing a, a very romantic sounding melody.
0: Mm. Sounds like a good gig for, uh, for uh, who's the cellist that you mentioned earlier, uh, Duncan, uh, or uh, Andrew Downing. Andrew Downing, Yeah, yeah well, actually yeah. actually had him
1: in <laughs> mind for the part, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, he would make sense when he... <laughs> That's good. He can play he can play jazz bass, but he can yeah. also play the cello.
0: Yeah. Oh wow! And uh, so, uh, how did you, you know, write the that tune, that music? Did you? Um, what was your process for
1: that? Like, um, well, my, my process, if you read my thesis, you'll, it explains that in the, in the methodology yeah. section. I had to do a lot of <clears throat> I had to put a lot of words together. And, yeah. And it, which is kind of fun, but um, my the way I usually work with composing a piece of music is I'll start with trying to generate a lead sheet. Ah, you know, every jazz player a lead sheet is basically a melody with a chord structure. Really, it kind of generally I try to start with that, and I try to get the the composition itself to really be concise and to really make sense structurally. Right. And then from there, I can add in a second line, a bass line. Mm. I can I can even get creative by adding on an intro, mm. adding on an outro. I can extend a passage. And I can even take the lead sheet and kind of work, move it through various keys or modulations, similar to what a classical composer might do. Um, But coming up with that initial lead sheet composition is kind of usually where I start. Mm.
0: Yeah, oh cool. I work the same way. Like, I find uh, thinking about orchestration too much to be, uh, to really stop me from being able to creatively create music, you know, Mm. or create Mm -hmm. a tune. Um, I, yeah yeah I, I totally work the same way creating a luchee <laughs> you know um yeah that's really cool and um so and, and which is the hard part for you which is the, like I I find the the hard part but also the really fun creative part is creating the tune and then and then orchestration um is also fun for different reasons but more maybe more tedious uh do you find that they're both an equally creative process for you or uh,
1: yeah they are. They yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean the initial creating the the, the the composition, the tune itself, is that's really important because I, I, I spend a lot of time just sort of trying ideas and then throwing ideas away, mm. and pruning it down to to exactly what change is going to work into the next change or what you know. So that that's painstaking work. Mm. Sometimes really? it takes, Sometimes it takes a long time. It could, it could even take a year oh. or, or more. Sometimes it happens quickly. Did you never know? You never know what you're going to get. But um, but once I kind of it, the the nice part of the satisfying moment is when you kind of you're close to the begin, you're close to the end. You're close to finishing it. You know you you can see the finished product and you're getting there. But it's just chipping away at oh, that one cadence doesn't quite work or that one line it doesn't quite fit. You know doesn't quite mm. like, doesn't quite go where it needs to go to make it satisfying to the listener. And, and then when you get there, it's like ah, <laughs> you've got it.
0: That's great. So you get to a place where you're you're more making choices, or rather than uh, generating something new, and then but you can see the work, the pieces that need to be done to yeah. get to the end. Getting to the end is like a really great thing. And maybe I'm not sure, uh, like if you take this for granted or not. But as a jazz guitarist, if you're a jazz, pure jazz guitarist, in some cases you don't have that feeling ever especially if you're not involved in writing mm-hmm. but the way writing gives you a, like an actual tangible accomplishment a start point and an end point uh, i see that as being so valuable one of the the, the wonderful things about writing that i've discovered from writing mm-hmm. is that and uh, i think a lot of jazz guitarists don't get that feeling you know mm-hmm. it's a, it's a real motivator yeah. Know, yeah to move forward it's interesting. Uh, well, why don't we try playing your original piece here? I, you know, I did notice when we quickly looked at it that there is
1: actually a two five one in this piece. There is a two five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hidden in there. Yeah. 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 So this this is called the Home Fields, which was written recorded on my second CD entitled the Home Fields. And the neat thing about this piece, I think, for listening, might be that it it ended up an arrangement of this composition ended up on the Grade Eight Royal Conservatory Classical Guitar Book. Um, And I think it's still on the syllabus, so you can actually play a version of this for your grade 8 guitar exam. That's great, if you so desired. But um, what we're going to play is just the lead sheet version, the the jazz version, which we can have changes in a melody and we can kind of solo over it.
0: All right. I'm going to encourage my students to play your pieces when they're working on their their conservatory stuff now. All right. So. one, two, one, two.
1: How I'm, I'm trying to sort of not just do two five one B Bobby, but sort of try to find different tonal sort of tonalities. Mm. Um, yeah, and definitely influence you know people like John Abercrombie and uh, yeah, even the writing of Kenny Wheeler and uh, sure those kind of artists absolutely.
0: And like I, f- you know, I feel like I, I, of course, feel like I need a little more time with this tune uh, to get to master it more. Uh, but uh, but then again, I, I also see that. the you know, I feel like I understand it a little bit. I feel like I can tell that a guitar player wrote it mm-hmm. in some ways. Like, something like, you know, the way it's written, seeing the melody in the range and then the chords against it, I can kind of see what voicing maybe you mean, mm-hmm. you know. I always found that interesting, like sort of that uh, that underlying communication that guitar players can give one another through written music, mm-hmm. you know. Um you know, like uh, I'm sure it's been a long time since you played really, you know, basic classical repertoire like Giuliani and uh, and mm-hmm. all that, and um, what are those other etudes that everyone plays? So. Carcassi. Carcassi and all that. <laughs> but um, do you ever think about them as just guitar players? You know what I mean. Like we kind of put, I, maybe you don't do this, but uh, we, we think of them as these composers, or these writers that have created these things, but we kind of forget that they're still guys with guitars or mm-hmm. people with guitars. Mm-hmm. You know. Just s-
1: I, I do, yeah. S- I mean, I, I have a lot of, I have a, a number of classical guitar students. That's sort of, yeah. I, I, I relive my classical days through my students these days. I don't, yeah. I don't play it so much, but I, I yeah. enjoy teaching the material. Yeah, Even today, I was just, before you arrived, I was teaching a Giuliani sonata. Right. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, and yeah, I, I try to remember that, you know, Giuliani was a concert guitarist. Yeah. You know, he lived around, the, he was at the same time as Beethoven. I mean, I think he was even at one of Beethoven's premieres. Wow. Um. And Carcassi and Fernando Sor, the Spanish guitarist mm. and um, yeah it's interesting when I when I think of my days as a classical player I was getting I got used to certain keys because classical guitar music is you know you don't get too many tunes in G flat major or D flat major <laughs> so the, one right. of the biggest challenge one of the biggest challenges for me especially <clears throat> to jazz is playing in you know five flats all of a sudden ah. I wasn't used to it yeah, you yeah. Know, I was used to two sharps D major open strings and right um, and I think getting used to playing in all the keys expands one's palette as a composer too. You get used to switching from key to key.
0: Totally. Yeah. yeah, different keys really offer different
1: things or different yeah. ideas. Yeah. You know? That's
0: interesting. And uh, I also wanted to ask you maybe about like uh, how you feel about abstraction in your in your writing. I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier when you were talking about how you know you tr- there is a melodic strain in your music that you know or you know something that makes sense about it that people could hear. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, you know, abstraction's very interesting, and, and as you know, as I've grown older, I know I've come to like to listen to things that are maybe a little more out, and sometimes I like to push boundaries a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, are you dealing with abstraction, do you think about it, or do you just, you just let it happen, or,
1: or is that something that you're working on in any way? Um. You mean sort of experimental or playing more freely, or...? Yeah,
0: well, yeah, or even, you know, you can be abstract on a standard tune, too, right? I guess what I mean is, um, you know, like, uh, sometimes there's expectations on us, you know, like, uh, to be, to play, like, something that sounds straight ahead, or or something that sounds modern, you know? Or uh, you tell someone that you're, you're playing classical guitar and they expect that it might be going to be inaccessible music. Right. Or maybe they expect it's... I mean, there's other things that they expect it could be romantic Spanish music, you know, mm-hmm. depending on who you're speaking to. But yeah. uh, sometimes there's, there's certain expectations that our listeners have. and uh, But also, like, you know, interests that we have in terms of how we want to... You know, the music that we want to create. So I was just wondering mm-hmm. w- what role abstraction plays in your in your music.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm trying to, If I understand... I'll try to answer that question. Um, um, <laughs> um, sometimes, if I'm on a gig and, and, and it, playing standards for a certain audience, I might feel obliged to sort of play more bebop-y kind of things. Right. But I try. I, I consciously try to play on my own gigs as much as possible the way that I think I want to play. Mm. You know, which is sort of my concept, and I'm, and I'm not afraid of kind of getting it, taking it outside. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that up. yeah yeah. yeah sure yeah, yeah. um trying to re- re- remain true to my own voice melodically and harmonically um but there is pressure there's always pressure on us i think mm-hmm. when we're performing is to you know who's in the audience is it what age group are they are they going to are they going to appreciate me putting on the distortion pedal and right. really going for it mm-hmm. or is it maybe better not to do that and I'm, I'm i kinda, I kind of I struggle with that a little bit
0: yeah, me too. That's kind of why I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you have the answer? I don't, I don't have the answer. <laughs> oh, damn. Huh. I good.
1: remember being at a club once and there was a noisy table and I remember putting the distortion pedal on to try to get them to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and what <laughs> happened? <laughs> I think it worked. I think <laughs> Nice. Good one. Um, but I guess, the, I guess the answer is we should try to be true to our, right. our voice, what we're trying to do. But mm. sometimes that can be playing in an accessible way. Mm. I think being accessible to an audience and to a listener is important too, because you have to kind of—I uh, hate to say—entertain them, but you have to kind of give them something that they can relate to, and then and then take them a little bit out of that comfort zone. Mm. Maybe that's the answer. Mm. Use totally. use the traditional kind of expectations as a as a lure. Mm. <laughs> I I really feel like Duke Ellington did that. You know, yeah. I feel
0: like he would have these swinging, catchy things, but then there'd be all of a sudden this turn, you know, yeah. or this this element that is just so interesting, you yeah. know. I, I love that approach. I yeah. think that's great. Yeah. yeah. But I think in a few years I might just be, like, making whale sounds or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've been into that stuff lately. I don't know. Hmm. That's cool, man. Uh, so uh, this composition that you did uh, at the university, uh, any thoughts of uh, performing it or recording it or has it been played yet
1: well I'm, I'm actually speaking with a film producer at the moment we're trying to get some grant money together to do a um to, to book a concert to, pr- to premiere the piece with the group and andrew downing is one of the players i'm trying i'm trying Great. to get dave or stevo from the west coast to come in and play piano and i think my friend ernie Tollers pegged to play the saxophone part and um, but we're talking about, instead of just sort of, you know, making a CD out of it, uh, instead of making a documentary film on the creation of the piece and kind of maybe dig into who I am as a composer and what led me to this this third-stream suite, mm. um, and the more I think about it with this director, he's, he's dedicated to sort of making a story out of it, is my path as a musician has been, literally, the classical guitarist switches over to jazz, tries to sort of do both and one camp or the other camp and then eventually at the end of it all or towards the end of it all I, can, I, I go to York and do a masters and then write a third stream chamber mm. suite, which is kind of it's almost fulfilling that that prophecy here. you're like, done I'm done <laughs> <laughs> no
0: <laughs> that's cool when I hear third stream I mean the names that come to my mind are like Billy Bauer George Russell J.J. Mm-hmm. Um, J. Johnson um, all those guys in New York City in the 1950s yeah. Yeah. and some, some people even went so far to say that's dead
1: you know, it's interesting. Yeah, because I remember mentioning the word third stream" around the university, and, and I would get kind of puzzled or negative yeah. comments. Oh, that, that third stream stuff. I mean, the big <laughs> the big the big, the, the big people who were in the late '50s were Gunter Schuller and, and Schuller. John Lewis of the Modern oh, Jazz yeah. they, they were they were friends, and they, they actually had a a concert society mm. that would program you know Vivaldi next to Duke Ellington, or they would they would they would purposely program classical and jazz pieces on the same program and then they, they, they were both prolific composers and they wrote tons of things for mm-hmm. for these third stream compositions you know like a jazz quartet with a string quartet added in and mm. I think the the day John Brown was hanged is the one that is most, oh yeah mm, I mean Adam do you know that one no I don't no, know not okay.
0: Not. Okay. Very, sorry
1: sorry to interrupt and then Günter he, he would write 12 tone jazz third stream type pieces yeah. where it would start off you know like this sort of bump and squeak 12 tone aleatoric very you know out there and it would eventually metamorphosize into a swing, so swing kind of groove thing where some of the pianist, John Lewis, would take a solo, yeah. and then it would transfer, it would modulate back into this sort of atonal, twelve tone stuff. And so they really, I mean, I think it was interesting, I mean, mm. whether you like it or not, or think it was a, a major style to be reckoned with. But it, I think it was just that they were trying new things. Mm. You know? I think there's some value in, in sort of classical and jazz and yeah
0: great I mean, I mean I guess you do like I guess you value this kind of collaboration between jazz and classical and it's mm-hmm. happening with you do you think that that should happen more in our scene do you think there's a way that we can connect more
1: uh, in uh, in the world probably I think that the challenge is that the, you know classically trained musicians are from my experience they can they can be close-minded to the uh, the, the concept of the improvisation mmm Rightly so, because they're not, they weren't trained, they weren't trained in, I know, having lived it, I mean, I wasn't, I was at a time when I wasn't trained to do it, and it was daunting. Mm. I had to spend a number of years in the woodshed, (laughs) Mm. you know, figuring out how to play over a a change, a two-five-one, and so I think that's the challenge. I think more and more, though, there are players who are dabbling in in both things, Mm. both styles.
0: I know there are various improvisation classes and ensembles for classical musicians at U of T and, mm-hmm. uh, and around. Uh, have you been engaged in that sort of education? Uh,
1: well, I teach at the Royal Conservatory, and I, I have a you know I have a jazz and blues guitar class there. Oh, cool. So I um, you know I'm teaching players how to improvise, and uh, I have a, I also have a classical guitar ensemble that I coach every week, and um, I get them to do improvising. You know, I, I sort of. I can't help myself. I have to, even my private students, it's like, let's work on, you know, let's see if you can improvise something. Do you do that with your pure classical students as well? I, I try to, yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're really hung up on doing exams and, and excelling, they have to spend a lot of time working on the pieces and the technique. Mm. But if, if given the opportunity, I'll try to, Here, here's a blues, let's mm. see what you can do, because I think it's important.
0: Mm. For anybody, yeah. do do you have your guitar students uh, do harmonic analysis of the pieces that they're, that they're playing? Yeah,
1: that's one thing. Yeah, even, even a classical piece, I I try to get them to to figure out what where are the changes, what where are the chords, what key areas are happening, and mm. and a lot of the time, you know, there are, there literally are you know two five ones or four five one progressions oh, in, yeah. in classical pieces, so it's totally. right there. You know, they can just see how it works. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool.
0: Man. It's so interesting that you can bring that to the classical students, you know, that's a, a different perspective for some learners, I think, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. That's cool. Alright, well, um, any concerts coming up that you might want to let people know about?
1: Yeah. I have a point of printing my, my schedule here, I have, <laughs> I have, um, we actually have a, a house concert series right here in, in the house. No way! And we do. We've been doing it. We're up. We're up to about. We're coming up to concert six. Wonderful. So on the twenty-fifth of October, um, I have Drew Dreka and Jim Vivian joining me for a trio concert right here in our living room. Great. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Sounds like a nice little
0: ensemble. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm. Uh, I'll be at the Rex in December. Mm-hmm. Four Fridays in a row. I'm playing at the um, the Old Mill in November. On uh, the fifteenth of November
0: great and uh, so is there a website uh, that, that people can find out this information to go see your shows
1: um, well my website jamesbrown.ca cool you updated it lately the, I uh, have. the gig yeah. list good yeah. okay good yeah. just making sure because
0: yeah. I haven't updated mine okay. so uh, <laughs> you know I always ask that question <laughs> I try to keep it updated as best I can yeah. that's great okay um, awesome Let's well let's play one more tune and uh, we can wrap it up sure yeah thank you what did we say yeah uh, Oh, yeah, Sentimental Over I'm You. I'm getting sentimental over Oof. you. I love this tune. It's been a while. It's a great tune. Didn't Ed play this?
1: Doesn't oh. Ed Pickard have, really, have a really good
0: version of this one?
1: Right. He, he might. F- I don't think I've heard it. Um, but I know Jim Hall's played this, and even, oh. even John Abercrombie, there's a great album that he did with Don Thompson, a duo record right, called Witchcraft, right. and they, they did a version of that. Um, yeah, great tune.
0: Great. So we're in F, right? Yep. Great Okay. 2, oh, one, two three, four. <laughs>